Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last... You have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us to see it and to understand what you said to us through it. Thank you for Paul and thank you for the Philippian church and the testimony of their faith and the testimony of Paul's faith. Thank you that you led him to write these words down and send it to that church and you preserved them for so many generations that we could see and hear what you have said to us and our fellowship. Help us to love you in our obedience. Help us to worship you and rejoice in our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to focus on uh, pretty much one really simple truth that I think Paul highlights in this passage, in this section. It is simply that Jesus strengthens us to be content in all circumstances. Jesus strengthens us to be content in all circumstances, and that is a fruit and an evidence and outflow of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, he addresses the issue of contentment, and he addresses the issue of want, and both of those are issues of the heart, and we'll see how circumstances can affect those issues, but he speaks specifically of this word contentment. Now, contentment simply means to have enough. It means to feel and believe and live as though you have enough. Now, in this circumstance, when Paul uses this word, it's used in an extra special way. It's used also to refer to being self-sufficient or independent. Now, that needs to be kind of understood carefully because uh, the Lord does not, has not created us to be independent of all people. He's not created us especially to be independent from him. We have to be wholly dependent on God, fully relying on him and his sufficiency for all things. 
That's what we need most of all. But we do have a tendency to lean on people and depend on other people for things that we really should only be getting from God or primarily be getting from God. And so our source of all life and hope and joy and peace should ultimately be rooted in Jesus and in our relationships with God. If we're drawing peace from anxiety and hope for resolution from conflicts, as we've addressed in Philippians, or, or looking for hope in life or, or the ability to rejoice through all the difficulties that we face, if we're relying on other people to give us that, then we have set our foundation on unsteady ground. And more than likely, we will, it won't be long before all the people around us will most certainly let us down. So Paul is saying, I'm not speaking to you from a position of being reliant on other people. And more specifically, he's not pulling on those relationships and making demands on other people out of his wants. So let's read some of what Paul said. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. So this whole letter, he's been talking about how much the Philippian church has desired to help Paul. Paul's in prison. He's in Rome. He loves the church people. He desires to go back and see them. He, has, he still is holding out hope that somehow the Lord will set him free from his imprisonment and give him the ability to go back and visit them, although he knows there's a possibility that that won't happen. But the church has also sent messengers and expressed their desire to help him in his need, and they've provided for his needs there in prison, specifically physical needs as well as spiritual needs. They've sent him encouragement. They've sent brothers in Christ to be there with him, in his difficulty, but they also sought to make sure that he was doing okay physically, which is a ministry of the church. It is what we should be doing for one another when we see that someone within our fellowship has need. And so Paul is recognizing that here. He's saying, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. He's rejoicing that they are concerned about his well-being. And then he says, he says, indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. So they had a concern, but at some point in time, they couldn't meet his need as quickly as they wanted to, but they found a way to bring help to him in his need, and he's rejoicing in that. But then he wants to clarify in verse 11 the motives of his heart, because he's encouraging them to give, and he's encouraging them to continue in that generous spirit, and he's specifically the recipient. So that could very quickly start looking really selfish and start looking like he's out for his own personal gain. Hey, continue giving. Continue giving more. I have lots of need. Help me. You know, um, I'm sure you have an abundance. You should sacrifice in the name of Jesus and ministry and give me more. Uh, and we certainly, unfortunately, have seen that in religious movements throughout all the years. But if you keep reading this whole section, especially verses 14 through the end of the chapter, he comes back to this concept of um, their generous gift, and he talks about... Um, 
He says, I, he says, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. He's saying that there were a lot of churches that I ministered to, but you shared with me more than anybody else did. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So while he was in Thessalonica ministering to another church, the church in Philippi was helping him in that ministry and meeting his needs there. He recognized that Philippi had a special heart for giving and a special heart for loving him and the work of the gospel. So he clarifies in verse 11, I want you to understand something, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So let's take a look at that phrase for a second, not that I speak from want. It's very important to understand the difference between wants and needs. And he was saying, I want you to know my heart. Here's the difference between need and want for me. I'm rejoicing in your generosity is what he was saying. But he was not allowing want to pull on his relationships. He was not demanding of them. He was self-sufficient. He was saying, I am content. I have all that I need, especially in Christ Jesus. And if from the gifts that you've already given, you don't need to give more. But your generosity is so good for you, you need to keep on giving. But he, so he, and he explains that later on. But right here he says, I really don't need any more. And so he's not allowing want to reside in his heart. And he's not allowing want to pull on his relationships. And that's a very important concept, especially in a family, in a fellowship, where we are meeting one another's needs. Sometimes, you know how it is when, when uh, somebody gives you something, you kind of get the idea that there might be more where that came from, you know, or you kind of have this sense of reservation sometimes when you give to other people because you think that that might change the relationship because now they're going to all of a sudden expect that all the time. And uh, so we sometimes have some reservation about giving to one another, and that's simply because of our flesh. We have the tendency to corrupt all good things and turn them into selfish gain. And that is very possible for all these people. But Paul is saying, listen, he's saying, I'm, I'm choosing to not allow that want to affect the good relationships that I value with my brothers and sisters in Christ. You've given me much, and I rejoice in that, and I appreciate that. I encourage you to keep giving because it's good for your souls, but I don't need anything. And so another um, writer, biblical writer, that the Lord commissioned to write his words was James. James gives us a little bit of a window into this where he talks about want and he talks about needs. And James chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, he says this. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Now, we've already discussed a little bit. Paul's addressed the Philippian church because there was a couple of ladies there. They were members of the church. They were respected in the church, and he valued them as members of the church so that he wasn't condemning them and he wasn't speaking badly of them. He was just saying there was a dispute among them, and he was encouraging them and or they and the other leaders of the church to gather around them and help them reconcile, help them be at peace with one another, help them be unified, help them walk in koinonia, which we've been rejoicing in. But there was a conflict. 
And then he talks about anxiety and how anxiety has a tendency to rule in our hearts and how we need to give thanks and pray through that. So there is this tendency for conflict and anxiety to be present. And James addresses this a little bit. He says, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. What is that? That is want. That is want. You want, but you do not have, and so you commit murder. All right, now, James is taking this to the extreme. All of us do not commit physical acts of murder, although Jesus says if we hate people in our hearts, it's as if we've already murdered them. So in in some in some aspect, we are all liars, thieves, and murderers to some degree, next to the law and the holiness of God. But James says this is the reality. We, we act in evil ways toward other people when we allow want and lust to reside in our hearts. And that's what James is pointing out. Verse 2, he says, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, which envy is is simply to see what somebody else has. It's rightfully theirs, and you want it. And you can't have it. And so then we react to that. You, you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. So James kind of points out the heart. He's really exposing uh, what what's going on in the heart sometimes when conflicts arise between people and and especially when we realize that there is lust and there is one and there is envy that's taking place and and Paul is saying listen I want to be clear as I'm addressing uh, your gifts to me I am choosing to not allow that to be present in my heart and when I'm encouraging you to give I'm encouraging you not from the standpoint of lust and desire and want and envy. I'm not seeing all that you have and envying it and expecting you to give it to me. And I'm not going to write a harsh letter, Philippians, you know, second Philippians to you if you stop giving to me. You know, he's, he's encouraging them to continue. So then but from that, you have verse 12. He says, not that I speak from want, For I've learned, well, here he says in verse 11, he says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And then he elaborates on that contentment. He kind of says the same thing three times. So let's look at it. He says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. So humble means, he's implying that he doesn't have very much. Prosperity means that he has a lot. In case you didn't understand those two words, he basically says it again. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. So he's saying, I know what it's like to be hungry. And I also know what it's like to be full. And then he says, in case you didn't really understand what I'm talking about there, let me say it again, a third way, both of having abundance and suffering need. I have suffered need. I've had abundance. I've been hungry. I've been full. I've lived with humble means I've lived in prosperity. So he's speaking about a lot of physical things right here. He's talking about food. He's talking about clothing. He's talking about possessions. He's talking about uh, the, the feeling of suffering and need. Paul has experienced all of those. But notice what he says here. He says that he's content, 
But he also says that he knows the secret to living in all of those circumstances. And we've kind of already explored what contentment is. It means to have enough. He says, I've learned to be content. I've learned how to be content when I have a lot. I've learned how to be content when I have a little. It is difficult in either circumstance to be satisfied with having enough or to be content. And I think that goes for any, either one of those circumstances. It's just as hard to be content when you're poor as it is to be content when you're rich. It's just as hard for the rich person to be content as it is for the poor person to be content. And sometimes we might, if maybe we've only experienced one of those... Sometimes we feel as though the grass would be greener on the other side, and we would, contentment would be a lot easier if life were different. But the reality is people with a whole lot of abundance oftentimes find want and discontentment present in their heart, even though they have all they could ever ask for. And then you also have experienced probably times of great need when want and discontentment reside in your heart even then. And that's because I believe that want or contentment, these are matters of the heart. These aren't external things. These um, These can't truly be affected by the circumstances. Circumstances reveal what's in the heart. Discontentment or contentment is something that the Lord gives to us as a fruit of our salvation. It's something that we find that flows from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Drawing near to Jesus will produce contentment in our hearts. Drawing, uh, uh, being disconnected from God and living and walking in sin will continue to produce more and more discontentment in our hearts. And the circumstances, whatever they may be, will only reveal what's actually happening in our hearts. So if you have found a way to feign some sort of appearance of contentment in your prosperity, one day when you suffer need and discontentment rises in your heart, or even in your prosperity, when you get bored, discontentment rises in your heart and you realize that you truly aren't content. You truly are relying on your circumstances to provide your happiness and your sense of peace throughout life. So Paul is saying, listen, and now all of what he says here, these are not really instructions. This is Paul saying, this is, this is me. This is how I have learned to live in my relationship with Jesus, which is a great example. And I believe that he's sharing that with the church because he wants the church to live this way as well. But he's also encouraging them. He's saying, listen, I don't really have need for you to continue to meet my physical needs. I've learned to be content, spiritually content in all things. I don't have want residing in my heart. I'm not lusting after the things you have and your possessions. I'm not envying your stuff. I have learned how to be content if I have a lot. I've learned how to be content if I have nothing. And we know Paul, if you study the life of Paul, you, you know that he lived in times of prosperity and did really well. And there were other times when he was suffering great need. He suffered great persecutions. And he learned how to rejoice the same through all of them. And I love that he says that he learned how to do it. Christ taught him to do that. It's not something that, that just happens. It's not something that maybe some people are gifted at being happy more than others. 
Some people are gifted at being more content than others. But we see that based on Paul's testimony that Jesus taught him how to rejoice consistently through all circumstances. Uh, a scripture verse that helps us to kind of see a little bit of this is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He says this, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. So uh, if you look throughout at need and want and desire of the heart, money usually shows up somewhere along the lines. And uh, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us to make sure that our character, our heart, is free from the love of money. And we'll see in, uh, in Timothy later that it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that becomes the root of all evil in our hearts. It's desiring it and wanting it. He's saying make sure that your character is free from the love of money because he knows that that's the source of a lot of problems. It stirs up want. It stirs up that discontentment. It stirs up that envy and that covetousness within our hearts. Not saying it's evil. He's just saying you need to guard your heart against wanting it and loving it and worshiping it. And so then he says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. There it is. Contentment. Being content with what you have. And this is speaking specifically of material possessions. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Now, who is he referring to? He's referring to Jesus. He himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So in Christ, we have the ability to be content. We cannot be content without Christ because here in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is saying this is the strength by which we choose to be content or by which we find contentment in all circumstances, whether we have a lot or whether we have none. He says we can console ourselves with this promise. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. He says we can confidently say that. We can confidently say that as Christians, as believers, no matter what the circumstances be. And yes, and we've kind of talked through Philippians a little bit. We talked about how bad some of those circumstances can be. There are some times when, when grief comes upon us or when the circumstances of physical need are so, so weighty that we're not sure we're how we're going to climb out from underneath the burden of all the the, the financial and physical needs that we have to try to sort out. And I think the writer of Hebrews is saying, yet yeah, these times are real. These times come. Guard your heart, but confidently console your heart with this truth. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. So in Christ, we can, and I believe that's how, that's how Paul was able to say these things. Paul was able to say, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now notice, before we dive into that, that sentence, notice what he said in in verse, verse 12, he says, In any 
and every circumstance I have learned the secret. As if to kind of imply a lot of people don't really know how to live content with contentment in good times and bad times, in abundance and in need. He said, but I've learned the secret to that. It's not just choosing to be content or just deciding that everything's going to be okay. The secret is being content through Christ. It is to be content through Christ. It's the same as all these other principles that we've looked at in Philippians. Koinonia, it's not just community. Remember, community is, is meeting together with people because you have common interests. But fellowship and koinonia biblically is something that can only happen in Christ with a relationship with Jesus because he binds us together in our spirits. That's a unique bond. Joy, it's different than happiness. Happiness it results from, it, it ebbs and flows with circumstances of life, but joy is rooted in Christ. It comes from knowing Jesus. Unity. It comes from knowing Christ. It comes because we have a unified relationship with our spirit. And the spirit is unified with the Father and unified with Christ. It's the same way with being content. It's not just choosing to be okay with circumstances. It is drawing near to Christ and allowing Christ to create this valuable quality. That's the secret to living and thriving in abundance or in need. And so he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, which is, which is a, a wonderful verse. I think we should memorize that verse. It should be something when, when you, you know, all of our kids in children's church or vacation Bible schools and things like that, we teach them to memorize that verse. It's a really good verse. Um, unfortunately, I believe a lot of times that verse is used uh, to mean something that it doesn't mean. Um, and remember, we've already kind of talked about want. And Paul's very clearly said, I'm not speaking to you from a position of want. I've learned how to be content. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's he talking about? He's saying, I can be content in all circumstances through the strength of Christ. He's specifically talking about being content. And if you want to take a broader perspective, since this is the end of his letter, you could potentially read into this that he's referring to everything that he's already taught in the book of Philippians. Fellowshipping with the believers, doing the work of the gospel, participating in that with the believers, being unified in the spirit, being steadfast in his relationship with the Lord. All of these things that he's taught and he's shared that he is the way he's living his life as a believer, he is doing through the strength of Christ. This is a reference to him being obedient to God. He can be obedient to God. He can live for Christ. He can trust the Lord. He can rejoice. He can be content through the strength of Christ. Now, oftentimes we, you know, we, uh, uh, we kind of, it, it can be interpreted as though we want something that's hard to get, but good news I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so, you know, we, you know, we put it on our T-shirts when we go to the gym and we quote it to ourselves when we're trying to, you know, work out. You know, I can do three more because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you know. Or we attach that to our quote-unquote dreams. Uh, I call it the, the Disney Channel syndrome, you know. Follow your dreams 
follow your stars and we try to fit that into the word of God. You know, that everybody deserves to have their dreams. After all, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the reality is, God's made very clear to us, we don't get everything we want. And life, we live in broken bodies and we live in a broken world that's full of sin. We desperately need a Savior and we desperately need Him to produce joy and hope in our lives because everything we set our hearts on physically in this life is temporary. And it very well may be taken from us. And so we have to set our hearts on something that's more eternal. So dreams and hopes and, you know, things that you hope to accomplish in life, those aren't necessarily bad, but that's not necessarily the goal of life either. It's certainly not the goal of life. And, and it's not necessarily either the, it shouldn't be what gives us satisfaction and fulfillment in life. And so these things are not bad, but this passage doesn't apply to that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is a reference to being obedient to the Lord and being content in him. It speaks of rejoicing with contentment through whatever circumstance comes our way. In all circumstances, there is the danger of want and conflict. The secret is being content in Christ. And on that note, I'd like to just add too that even if it, even if you have to some extent, after all, we... We live in the United States of America, and I've, I've enjoy, I'm grateful that I grew up in this country. I've studied a lot of other countries. I've been to a lot of other countries in the world that uh, have a lot of different ways of governing, governance, and have a lot of different cultural aspects, and some are good and some are bad. We have some bad things about our own country because we're all sinners, but I've had the privilege of growing up and seeing some of my dreams fulfilled in life. But one thing that I have learned that I've seen that is for certain, it is that if, you're, if you are living your dream, so to speak, you will still be met with need. There's still going to come a time when it's not enough. That discontentment will, will rise up. That sense of boredom will come. If that's if that's what you're hoping in, if that's what brings you happiness, and, you know, we can have everything we ever wanted, but at some point our flesh is going to present to us the idea that there could be more or there could be something better. The things of this world are just never enough. So even if you're living your dream, hang on, because dissatisfaction will likely come. The only way that we can choose to be grateful to God and content in all those circumstances is through Christ who strengthens us. Passage of scripture to consider is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 12. He says this, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Now this is, to tie this concept of godliness to be into being right with Jesus. We need a close walk with Christ. Listening to him, talking to him, reading his word, applying his word in our lives, living in the fear of God, living in honor of God. 
walking in the holiness of God, applying all these things to our lives, continually seeking him. This is godliness played out in our lives. And Timothy, Paul's telling Timothy, godliness for you is a quality that you need. But quality or godliness accompanied by contentment, that's riches. It means you can be poor as dirt, but if you have godliness and you're content through the strength of Christ, you're as rich as they come. You have something that most people will live without for their entire life. And he says, godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can t- cannot take anything out of it either. If we have, that's that concept of naked I came, naked I shall return, dust to uh, dust, earth to earth. But he says, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Again, in context, he's not saying money's evil. He's just saying sometimes money becomes the trigger point for what really lies in our heart. Want, lust. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Again, he didn't say money is the root of evil. He said the love of that money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. That's godliness. Drawing near to Christ... Partnering that with contentment, that's the secret to living in want or living in need or living in abundance. Living with little or living with a lot. The last scripture I'd like to read that I think um, was a um, comfort to me, just being reminded of that as I read it again, preparing for this, was Psalm 23. This just speaks to the character of God and considering that we are believers we do love Jesus as our Savior. We do have good days. We have bad days. We have days of, uh, of, of need. We have days of abundance. We do struggle with the desires of our hearts and sometimes the discontentment of our hearts. We see the ungodliness sometimes creep up in our hearts. This passage is a comfort to us. It's a reminder that God is our shepherd. We are but sheep. And sometimes... We need our shepherd to realign us along the right path. We need our shepherd to lead us and guide us in the right way because sheep have a tendency to put their heads down and not notice anything else around them. And they get themselves in a lot of trouble. And this is what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There it is. Want. He's resolving that because God is his shepherd, he doesn't need want anything I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he restores my soul he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake so he's comforted by the fact that his shepherd is right there with him guiding him leading him providing for him restoring his soul as he grows weak The shepherd is right there providing sustenance for the next day. 
leading them beside still and quiet waters. And then he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there it is, that, that season of difficulty that Paul was talking about. I've learned how to live in times where I had a lot. I learned how to live when I had nothing. Valley of the shadow of death. And if you know anything about Paul, you know there were several times when he was brought close to death because of his work with the Lord. He was stoned and beaten and thrown out of the city. They assumed that he was dead. They threw his dead body out of the city because they didn't like that he was preaching the gospel and he refused to quit. He wasn't dead. So when he woke up, he went back into the city and kept preaching again. But the, this is what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of us also know what, what that feels like when we've, maybe we've lost a loved one or someone close to us, or we've lived in the fear of losing someone close to us, that valley of the shadow of death that looms over our heads, and so reminder that life is frail and fragile and short and brief, and we really don't have a much of a hold on it, that at any point in time, if the Lord wills, he could take us or somebody near us away. But he says, even under that shadow, I fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's prosperity. That's abundance. And he's not talking about physical abundance here. He's talking about spiritual abundance. That's what Paul is saying has, is sustaining him through the times of, of no physical abundance. When we have no physical abundance, the spiritual abundance remains. And David, the writer of Psalm 23, says, My cup overflows because he says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. The goodness of God and the loving kindness of God are following him every day of his life. He is rich in the goodness and the loving kindness and the presence of God. And that comforts him through all circumstances. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's, he is rejoicing that he is in the presence of God. And that leads him to peace. And in Philippians, Paul's, Paul's already said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. He encourages them to pray and he encourages them to focus on all that God has done that is good. And he says the God of peace will be with you. How can we not be content if the God of peace is with us? If we believe that and we know that, then he should calm our restless hearts with contentment. And that only comes through Jesus. I'd like to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to pray through those things this morning. And I'd just like to also conclude by just saying that all of this is only possible through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. God provided him to pay the price for our sins. And in relationship with him, God provides hope, healing, peace, the ability to thrive and live through all the circumstances of this life. Cry out to the Lord Jesus for salvation if you've not already done that. 
repent of your sins and cry out to him for salvation. Scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.